I am Sarah Jane Case. Hello, Case, friends. And this Happy Tuesday. Is Enneagram today, I'm sharing my candid thoughts on the Enneagram and social media. But first, today's rosebud and thorn. My rose today is that I picked up a dahlia, um, a, this like beautiful flower from the farmer's market the other day, and I put it in my kitchen. And it is bringing me so much joy. Like every day, I just go in there and I stare at it. And it makes me so happy. It's just like layer upon layer upon layer of like beautiful petals. Um, and it's like this like light pink beige color and it's stunning. My thorn is also kind of a bud. Like we're having our yard sale this weekend and I'm really excited to just declutter, get rid of things. Um, but I yard sales are a lot of work and that's hitting me today. <laughs> And my bud is therapy. So having just having an hour a week that is mine is so comforting. I, I just look forward to it so much to know that like, you know what? I'm going to have this space where I just get to talk about my feelings and share and be heard. And it's, yeah, really looking forward to it. Okay, so I am excited to be sitting down and chatting with you today about this topic. Uh, I spoke at a conference over the weekend, the IEA International Conference. They did it online this year. Um, on Saturday, I spoke on subtypes with my amazing mentor, Beatrice Chestnut. And then on Sunday, we did a panel. Um, there were six of us on the panel talking about reaching across generations of the Enneagram. You know, how do the people who've been teaching the Enneagram for 30 years or more um, integrate with the work that we're doing on social media and kind of how ages are changing and the world is changing? How do we make sure that, you know, what does that look like for us? So it was a really cool experience. It was really fun. Like Russ Hudson was there, Beatrice Chestnut was there. And I, the reason I speak of them specifically is just because it was just this like amazing thing to be like, these are the people whose books I learned the Enneagram through in the beginning, right? Like they I had their books in my desk as we were doing this panel. And I just think that's a really cool thing that IEA did, like putting us all together and um, making those connections. And it was awesome. And also getting to see so many of you and get to answer your questions, just get to know you, and also getting to take the workshops myself. It was so rich and I cannot wait for it to be in person again because I am gonna eat it all up. <laughs> it's so cool. Um, I did though, like in the panel, feel like there were things that I shared there that I wanted to also share here as well as things that I didn't say that I wish that I had. So um, we're going to get into it. I do want to give you a little bit of a ramble warning because I'm not scripting out this episode. I've kind of given myself some questions to guide the conversation, but I'm not going to ask my lovely husband, who's also my editor, to take out every single um <laughs> that I do. So sorry in advance for any kind of difficulty in the way that I speak about it, but I'm really excited to get into it. So question number one is social media cheapening the Enneagram. If you had asked me this question a year ago, even a year and a half ago, I would have said no. I would have said that I feel like, you know, people are going to 
take the Enneagram into depth and then they're going or they're not. And it's not my job to like force people to take it seriously. But honestly, as I've grown and changed and I mean, even in like the last year and a half, the work that I've done with the Enneagram, um, I just kind of feel like, yeah, sometimes it is. Like the truth is if I see another like type sevens love glitter post, I think I might poke my eyes out. Like I, it's, I'm really tired of the stereotypes. And the truth is kind of my defense back in the day when I was doing this more like surface level content was that you can't really not do the stereotypes. Like if you're gonna make it entertaining and funny, um, it leans on the stereotypes. And I still think that's true. I think for it to be funny, it relies on a stereotypical presentation of the Enneagram. And what I've decided in my own practice is that I'd rather be deep than funny. Um, And that has been my growth in it, right? Like my journey to who do I want to be online? And um, something I said in the panel and something I said to Beatrice over the over text or over the phone was just um, at one, I had at one point to shift my energy from am I a content creator or am I a teacher slash healer? Um, wanting people to really get the depth and, and con, like rich transformation from the Enneagram or do I want to be like a content creator for entertainment? And I really wanted the depth and I wanted to make sure I was contributing to people's healing and not to people's harm. And we'll get into a little bit of how I think it causes harm in a a little bit. Um, But yeah, I think sometimes it does cheapen social media, um, the Enneagram to post on social media. Now, that doesn't mean that I think that social media isn't a good place for the Enneagram by any means. I just think that like, there's a big difference in um, all sevens love to party and the seven, you know, really talking to the pain point of that type, you know, sevens fear being trapped in emotional pain and that can cause certain kinds of behaviors. Um, I also think like there's some element of play that's super fine. Like, um, I think black Enneagram is a really good example. Like their account is all about like, you know, typing people from the Enneagram, analyzing TV characters who are not real people, kind of using the Enneagram as a lens, talking about the pain points, talking about kind of like what's going on there. And also intentionally bringing in representation of like marginalized people or people who aren't there's not enough representation of people of color in the Enneagram. And so um, in that way, I think it's entertainment that's done really well versus like trivializing people, trivializing the types, um, pretending like all type sevens are the same or that kind of thing. And I, and I just want to be clear, like I've been all of these things and I don't see myself as like beyond it. I think this is the conversation I have with myself all the time um, as like a way to mitigate my kind of natural tendency to like make light of things. So this is my journey and this is kind of how I've grown and I'm just kind of sharing from that place. Um, The other piece here is, uh, you know, 
in our both our consumption of content online and our creation of content online, I think that it's really helpful to identify, am I a content creator or am I a teacher? Um, you can be a content creator and have like no, you know, have very little Enneagram experience, kind of have like your version of it and, you know, take some workshops here and there and create from that space. You know, you're, you know, you're doing something that's entertaining or just informational. I think that's fine. And I think it has its place, but so often, and, and this happened to me really early on, I started creating content about the Enneagram and immediately I was called an Enneagram expert and I, um, was invited to, to start speaking and teaching, teaching really quickly. And I actually wish that I had waited some time before I kind of stepped into that role of teacher and really had like made that decision proactively instead of reactively. Um, obviously I, I can't go back and like do it over again, but if I did, <laughs> I would slow down that process. And, um, as a content creator, I think it's helpful for you to decide, am I here for entertainment or am I here for education or am I here to invite people into integration so that they can truly heal? What do I want to, what's my contribution to this conversation? And be really upfront about that. Um, don't jump to one before you're ready for it. Um, let yourself take your time. And, and this process isn't perfect. It's not it's a fluid thing and you're probably going to make mistakes and that's also okay and like normal and fine. I did. I, I will again, I'm sure. Um, but it's, I think it's just helpful to be clear. And I wish that I had felt the freedom and the permission to say, actually, um, at this stage of my journey, I'm just here for entertainment and, um, eventually I'll be ready to teach, you know? And, um, the other thing is if you're consuming content to pay attention, you know, don't learn from those who are entertaining you, right? Because it's not the same thing. And there's so much depth to the Enneagram that gets missed when we just kind of stay at that entertainment space and that entertainment level. Um, and the next question being, is there a place for entertainment content? And I think that there is, I think, um, Again, I've talked about like Black Enneagram. I even think like Rude Ass Enneagram. I adore her. I adore her work. She kind of like takes this approach of like calling you out. Um, and it comes from this place of like deep knowledge, but it's silly and playful. It's like really fun. And I think that there's a way to do that. And um, it's not the same as kind of just stereotyping over and over and over and over again. Um, and that the kind of the reason that we don't want to stereotype and the reasons that we want to be really careful with what we put out is that it can create true harm. And as someone who is on the receiving end of like a ton of DMs, a ton of calls and text messages about the Enneagram, I see firsthand the harm that can be done all the time. Um, and I want to be really upfront about that. I think the first one, and we've I did a whole episode on why I am adamantly against typing other people, um, but that's one of the things that can happen through this is um, people will latch onto those stereotypes and then claim that you're mistyped because you don't fit into the mold of what they think that type is. For example, I um, 
I did the full typing interview with someone and they felt really strongly and firmly that they were an eight and they knew it like in their bones that they were an eight. And then someone they met who wasn't an Enneagram teacher, who didn't have the experience, um, went on a trip with them and they had packed their suitcase really organ. There was really organized and really tidy. And they were like, oh, you're definitely a type one because your suitcase is so organized. And so it sent this person on like a, another, like a regression of process because they had been kind of spoken over based off of these stereotypes, if that makes sense. So that's something that is really, I think, harmful. And as someone who's been on the receiving end of being mistyped by other people a ton, um, it's really infuriating eventually. It gets really old, especially, and it creates doubt in your own understanding of yourself, um, which I am adamantly against. I want people to feel like they can trust themselves, to know that they know who they are, to be able to confidently explore their shadows and the darkness that they're kind of running from or um, sinking into or not wanting to deal with. And when we kind of ping pong people around based off of these like very surface level understandings of the Enneagram, then we're doing them a disservice and we're halting their pro their process um, and their ability to really dive into their work, in my opinion. Next is, I think it can lead to trivializing the deep pain that is our Enneagram type. I mean, our Enneagram type did not form because like we had a great grand old time like our enneagram type is how we deal with like our deep woundings and it's how we're trying to protect protect the most vulnerable parts of ourselves and oftentimes we're so intertwined with it that the idea of letting it go and releasing it feels like a death and it's a grieving process and it's really, really tender and really hard and takes decades of integrated work to do. And it's very, very vulnerable. So if we go around just like poking at people, um, saying like, oh, you're being such a type two right now, like it's mean and it's, it's putting this person in the, the position to feel shame and like, that's not okay. I know we think it's like fun and like playful, but I just don't think it's cool. I don't think it's funny. Um, I think like, even when we do it in our process, like I don't, I don't have like judgment for people who do this on their own necessarily. And like, sometimes I'll say like, okay, I'm going to be a seven right now and talk really fast and like, just get us through this content or, you know, things like that. Or, um, but when we say like, oh, of course I'm going to leave this relationship. I'm a seven. It's like we're making light of our own suffering, right? It's like um, we're pretending like these things that are hurtful to other people, hurtful to ourselves, limiting to our growth are these like funny, playful things. And they're just not like it's you deserve more tenderness than that and more attention than that. Um, and we just need to like slow down a little bit and, and love ourselves there instead of kind of bringing up back up to the surface and saying, okay, here's, 
here's the facts. Um, this is what I am. This is what I'm always going to be. This is what I have access to. Um, because it's not true. You have access to so much more and you are so much more than what this Enneagram, what your Enneagram type is. You have so much more capacity than that as a person. Finally, um, I think it dehumanizes people. I think it's victimized. It's not victimizing. I think it's, um, objectifying. I, Hillary, my friend Hillary McBride gave me, gave me that language in one of our summit interviews where she said, you know, we're literally turning people into a number um, and we're not seeing the humanity underneath. And I think that's what a lot of times the surface level content is doing is we're forgetting the human behind the number. And I just want to always be a voice of like human first, human first. And if you need to, and I highly encourage it, remove the number from the way that you're talking to people about the Enneagram, you're going to have a better experience. If you can have the conversation of, man, I see that you're um, already planning a trip for next Tuesday. Is there something going on in your life right now that, is there a pain that we're not feeling or a pain that we're not acknowledging? Instead of that, that is so much more powerful, so much more connective, so much more meaningful than, oh, you're being a seven, you're being such a seven, right? And then the same for ourselves, you know, if I can pause and say, replace like, oh, I'm being such a seven right now, instead say, oh, what is it that I'm trying to hide? What am I running from? What am I pretending like I don't feel? How can I pour love into that space and allow myself to honor those emotions? It's so much more impactful, so much more meaningful. And I know I'm using seven as an example a lot today, but um, I'm just, that's what comes to mind first. But yeah, so harm that can be done by kind of overly consuming this shallow content and even leaning into creating the shallow content, in my opinion, is... Um, encouraging the typing of other people, trivializing the, the deep pain of the Enneagram, and I think ultimately dehumanizing people. So how as a content consumer, someone who's on social media, how do you know who to trust with your content? Um, you know, I think that there's, I think it's really helpful to go, what is this doing for me and my journey, my growth journey, aka like, is this, even if it's entertainment, let's go for entertainment first, actually. As an entertainer, um, is this challenging me? Is this expanding my view? Is this is this feel expansive um, of my compassion for other people and my compassion for self? Or is this um, making me, do I roll my eyes when I look at this? Do I feel unseen by my, you know, over and over and over again? Do I feel like they're trivializing me? You have the right to not watch or consume that content. And I highly encourage that you don't. Um, as a content creator, how can you know that you can be trusted? That was one of the big questions um, in the panel from people who are attending was just like, well, how do I know that I'm not doing harm, that I'm informed enough or that I'm doing the right things? And I think, um, you know, I have a couple of thoughts about that, um, and I want to get more into detail specifically around imposter syndrome in a second. But the first piece is, uh, what's my intention with this content, and is my content living up to that in intention, aka, 
do I want to be entertaining and also um, in integrity around what the Enneagram is? Am I doing that? <laughs> or do I want to be educational? Am I teaching people what the Enneagram is and offering that information? Am I doing that? Am I being upfront about which one of those I am? Or do I want to like invite people into deep transformational work, lead them through their healing journey? And um, am, if I'm doing that, am I being really upfront about that? And am I in integrity in terms of like continually learning and training and growing in that regard? On both, I think the informational level and the integration level, we have, um, I think, a duty to continued education. I said this in the panel and I will say this again and I will say it forever. I want to learn from the learners, right? I, if you tell me you know everything, that you have figured it out, that you have all the answers, I immediately am like, nope, 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 <laughs> not for me. No, thank you. Um, that I want to hear someone who says like, I don't know, maybe let's, let's think about this for a second. Let's explore this together. Or, um, you know, people who've been teaching this and are still joining in on the summit, taking workshops in my little intro to subtypes workshop, there were like board members. There were my first Enneagram teacher was there, like taking the workshop and that to me, like so much respect um, for them, for just like sitting through an hour and a half of content, they probably already know, um, but they're hearing it in a new way, hearing it from different, you know, a different point of view, a different perspective and not being, you know, really enjoying, you know, I don't know if they enjoyed the workshop, but like being there is really cool. And like, I noticed that and I noticed those people and I'm like, oh, okay. Like I am paying attention to the people who are who are watching and learning and growing um, even decades in. You know, one of my favorite teachers, I've talked about him a lot, Pierre Hanran, he talks about like he's constantly surprised. He's constantly wrong and he's constantly learning. And like that's the stuff for me. And that's who I want to be. Um, I never want to pretend like I have all of the answers. I never want to pretend like um, I have figured it all out. I also want to be really clear when I'm sharing some for something that isn't my original idea, you know, like with subtype episodes, I'm like, this is the work of Beatrice Chestnut that I'm transmuting for you. Please go get her book. Or the same thing with Russ Hudson. Like I'm doing the levels of health right now saying, this is the work of Russ Hudson. This is where I learned it from. Here's where you can go, go deeper with him as well. Um, you know, for me, I tend to be more of the educational line of the Enneagram and, um, I want to invite you to the people who are going to take you even deeper. And that's what I think our work online is. And, and with social media is just kind of like, let's keep inviting people deeper and deeper and deeper into knowledge. Um, but if we stop at content consumption on social media, we're going to miss a lot of depth. Um, so this brings me into imposter syndrome. So this was a question two people kind of asked. Um, the first person that comes to mind is Jayla. Hi, Jayla. Um, and they kind of asked, you know, like, how do I overcome imposter syndrome? And I had two answers to this and then like a third kind of funny thought. So my answer to the imposter syndrome question in general is usually twofold. First is you're not teaching everyone who's ever heard of the Enneagram about the Enneagram. You're really thinking about the knowledge that you obtained in the last three years. So who, where were you in your 
journey three years ago, whether that's integration journey or informational journey, like where were you at three years ago and how can you bring the people who are at that point up to where you are now? And as you grow and as you learn, that move, that's gonna, that point's going to move with you um, upward, in my opinion. So um, that can help you with, you know, sitting, sitting next to someone who has been doing this for 30 years, they're teaching you, right? But you're teaching the you from years ago. And that's, I think, the goal. The next piece of the imposter syndrome thing is what information do you feel like you're missing in order to do your job well? Um, and can you, where can you obtain it and how can you obtain it? If you have kind of like this deep inner feeling of like, I'm not as qualified as they think I am, or I'm not as qualified as I feel like I need to be, well, ask yourself, what would qualification be? What would it look like to be qualified? And how can I get to that point so that I can release this sense of fraudulence? Because I think there's two kinds of two kinds of imposter syndrome. I think there's a natural imposter syndrome of just kind of self-doubt. And then there's an imposter syndrome where you like kind of do know that you're not qualified to do the thing that you're doing. And you might just need to get the qualification. You might just need to go in and get the training and so that you can be in integrity and therefore be confident. Maybe that's experience or knowledge or integration in your own life. Um, and it's okay to feel that and to do something about it. I think sometimes when we talk about imposter syndrome, we we talk about only the sensation of I have obtained all of the credentials, I am qualified to do this, and I still doubt myself and don't feel qualified. Um, and I think with that, you can, you know, it comes with practice, it comes with putting yourself out there, it comes with just living through those difficult emotions. But there's also a level of like, I have like a secret knowing that I'm not ready for this or I'm not prepared for this and I'm scared people are going to figure that out. And in that sense, just get the knowledge, get the experience, get the training um, to bring where you are to where you want to be closer together so that you can be upfront about where you're at. Um, and finally, I think imposter syndrome breeds in the darkness, right? It just like loves to live in the darkness, but if you shine light on it, if you're really authentic and really upfront about where you're at, about what you know, where how experienced you are, um, it can't really thrive there, right? It's not as attractive. You kind of pour some light onto it and there's nothing to be found out. If you tell everybody everything you're worried they're gonna find out about you, guess what? <laughs> They can't find anything new out about you. So then you can't be exposed by anyone because you've exposed yourself. You know what I mean? That got, um, that language got funny there. The other thing I wish that I had said, I didn't say any of this on the panel. I wish that I had, but um, the main thing I wish that I had said was like, do you think I don't have imposter syndrome? Like right now, <laughs> like in this panel, like sitting here, I have... I, I like literally when I said goodbye to my husband, I was that morning, I was like, okay, let's go feel imposter syndrome <laughs> because like, yeah, I'm terrified and I'm just doing it anyway. And it's very vulnerable, extremely uncomfortable. Um, 
I feel like I could have cried afterwards if I had really like let myself like it's just like a purging of vulnerability to put yourself out there like that especially with people that you really admire and respect um so I felt I feel it every day you know especially in a conference environment so I just want to be really clear um it there's no like healing potion and I was feeling it as you were asking me about it so fun fact um so the other thing is that I feel like on the panel especially I said I don't know I think online work should be an invitation into deeper community and to deeper work and I honestly stand by that um I think it got misinterpreted as like you couldn't do anything online and like online work isn't helpful um which I don't obviously feel at all because my entire work is online except for books, you know, um, and the occasional in-person workshop, but like literally everything I do is online. So obviously I think that good things and deep work can happen online, but we have to take it off of the internet. We have to. Um, There's a big difference between learning things and integrating things and honestly like integrating things that's something that you're gonna have to do with yourself and you're gonna have to do in real relationship to real human beings um people online are not gonna challenge you the way that people in real life do and um that's just that's true and it's uncomfortable to hear i know that we want to believe that the deep work and the transformation can happen on the internet but i truly believe that integrative work of the Enneagram, truly embodying it happens through embodiment practices, mindfulness, um, releasing of our coping mechanisms, things that have to happen in therapy, things that have to happen in deep community and relationship to other people. The thing is with online is that, um, you know, content consumption is so easily mistaken for integration. Um, If I like, follow this Instagram account by a therapist, it's the same as getting therapy. And it's not, it's not the same. And integrating your the, the knowledge, integrating the information into your life, it comes through real lived experiences. Um, and obviously we can like take this information and then integrate it on our own. So you're getting the, the, the tools, you're getting the information, but the work happens off of the internet. Um, You know, online too, we, it's so easy to wear a mask. Most of us have a personal brand that really highlights the part of ourselves that we want seen and um, kind of minimizes and shadows the part of ourselves that doesn't want to be seen. And so it's really easy to get by unchallenged. And I think this is something we can do in real life too. And I can speak from experience as someone who has led with the type structure of seven, I am a professional or have been a professional at these surface level relationships where everyone thinks that I'm wonderful and no one ever has to deal with any of my nonsense because I never let anyone close enough to challenge me or to even be disappointed in me. And so I think everyone in my life is always happy with me all the time. And then when they're not, I can move on from that relationship and then like not have to deal with the consequences. Like that is how I lived a significant portion of my life. And I've had to undo that 
pattern, right? And the thing that undoes that pattern is having relationships who will challenge you and who you're not willing to walk away from and who will push you and who you decide to commit to even when it's uncomfortable and they challenge you to feel those feelings that suck to feel because they make you feel shame or disappointment in yourself and that's not very fun. Um, But that's what social media is for so many of us. It's like people get the version of us that we present to them and they like it because they're not dealing with any of our darkness. And so then we get to go through life like all is well and all is good ignoring the active harm that we're doing to ourselves and to others and um, missing out on feeling love for who we really are. And so I just really want to be clear, like who we are on the internet, we're not forming authentic relationships. As much as we think we are, we are not. We're inviting them into a version of ourselves that we polished for them. And that doesn't mean that we can't find true friends online and meet them offline and create true friendships or that we can't meet someone on social media and then um, Zoom with them or FaceTime with them. You you guys are smart enough to know what I mean by um, that presentation of who we are versus the authentic pers- version of who we are. And I'm not saying like Zoom is in a way that you can have friends. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying um, someone that you meet on Instagram isn't going to challenge you in the way that a husband or a a deep friend or a community of people who are calling you into your greatness are gonna do. Um, So that being said too, when it comes to social media and Enneagram, um, I kind of use the analogy of an iceberg in our conversation. So there's this, the tip of the iceberg, like the part of the Enneagram that's above the water is like, typology like find out what your enneagram type is and it's just like this teeny tiny sliver and sometimes we think that's the whole thing like okay this is what the enneagram is and as someone who is creating content online um or consuming content online you might come to an instagram account and they're only teaching about that tip of the iceberg and you might think oh this is deep work on social media So Sarah Jane, what you're saying is wrong because I can clearly see that it's all here, but you don't see underneath the surface and see that there's so much depth. There's so much more to know, so much more to integrate because you're new. You, you don't have that experience. So I think it's important that we continuously invite people into kind of going under the water, looking at below the surface, seeing how much depth and complexity there is there, obviously step by step by step. Um, and so I just, I think that's clear. And, and the other piece of this being that if we're staying kind of like above that surface, we're not looking into our shadow enough. We're not looking into like, okay, yeah, I am a type four, but like, how is that not working for me? Because that's the point, right? The point of the Enneagram isn't to know our type. The point of the Enneagram is to know that we are not our type, that we have more in us than just that, that we don't have to do that anymore. And that's not what's required of us to be a good person or to be okay. We don't have to lean onto our suffering as our way to get through the world. We don't have to be everybody's sunshine in order to be okay and to be loved. Um, There's so much more there. 
below the surface. So just be conscious of that as you consume content and as you create content. Um, and finally, I just again want to say I have been and will likely be all of these things at one point or another. Um, in no way have I mastered this. Um, I am I have ideas that I am still like, is this a good idea or is this kind of like a trivializing practice? And I'm probably going to get that wrong at times, but also um, I'm going to keep learning and I'm going to keep growing. And I hope that you will too. I think that's the, the ultimate invitation here is keep learning and human first, right? That's the, that's the invite. And my food for thought for you all today is if you will only pause as you hurry through your days, take a moment to look at passersby beyond cursory skin deep analysis all the way into their eyes. What beauty you might find woven from the life threads there. And that is from Ellen Hopkins. All right, friends, I hope this wasn't too much of a ramble for you. I know, I know it was, but I hope you enjoyed it. And I look forward to seeing you tomorrow for the next episode.